Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campia Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campia Show on YouTube. This is the episode that was recorded on Thursday, May the 14th, 2020, titled Disney Gives New Mutants a Release Date in August. Will it stick this time? And remember, guys, even though you're listening to the podcast, you can also get your comment or question on the show simply by going to the tip link in the top of the description of this podcast, which is simply streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be supporting the show and getting your question read on air and for now let's get to the episode you know one of the films that is coming out and actually started production prior to the whole pandemic shutdown is matrix 4 now it of course had its production shut down just like everybody else for a while now i i have to admit while i'm as a big of a fan as the first matrix as anybody and i actually think i like the second matrix more than most people i don't think it's anywhere nearly as good as the first one but i i like the second matrix um I am with everybody else that the third Matrix was a real big dip in quality, but I, I've got to admit, I'm not all that excited about Matrix 4 personally. And I think the reason I'm not all excited about the Matrix 4 is because, and we've talked about this before, I thought the Matrix franchise declined in quality as it went. And then as far as directing goes, I really didn't like, and some things I really just harshly disliked, uh, the stuff the Wachowskis did after the Matrix. So. I'm curious about Matrix 4. I'm going to hope it's going to be awesome, but right now I'm not all that tremendously excited. But there are a lot of people who are excited for it. And for those of you who are excited, this might be good news for you. News is coming out that slowly but surely, as the certain areas of the country are trying to reopen back up, there are reports now coming out that the Matrix 4 is looking at early July to restart production. Now, of course, July has been a big month that we've been talking about for a couple of reasons, not the least of which is July is when the first new movies are supposed to come back out. That's the plan. For a long time, it looked like Christopher Nolan's Tenet was going to be the first movie, new movie to come back out, and that was on July 17th. And then yesterday, Solace Pictures jumped the line, and they announced they're going to be releasing their Russell Crowe movie, Unhinged, which we talked about yesterday, on July 5th. First, a full two weeks before Tenant. So July is becoming a pretty important month for the movie world if it can hit those targets. And now with Matrix looking at ramping back up, it can become even more significant. Now, of course, we also discussed on yesterday's show that the UK announced that they are going to be looking at allowing production to begin again in July as well. So movies like Batman and some significant TV series that are shooting over there right now are going to be able to pick up production as well. This, of course, raises the question for a lot of people, Aaron, about, you know, yay, our entertainment's coming back. Yeah. But at the same time, a, a sense of caution, you know, you know, we've heard some some officials saying that, you know, we're, it's not that we're saying that the pandemic is behind us. It's that we've learned how to deal with it uh, and act in a responsible way and all that kind of stuff. And I'm not behind the scenes. I don't know how accurate or inaccurate that is. So I'm kind of measured right now. On the one hand, there's my fanboyism that is like, yay our movies are coming back but also on the other hand i'm a little bit is it is it too early I mean, we talked about that with the movie theaters i think it's easier to control that in a movie theater environment but on a set aaron you've been on a lot of sets i've been on on sets before that have 20 people on set i've been on sets that had like 300 plus people on it before yeah how challenging or difficult is it actually going to be to try to really create a good controlled environment 
in which these artists can actually create their art. How difficult is that going to be? Honestly, I don't know how they're planning on July already. I really don't know how they're going to do it because, you know, I have been really keeping my ear to the pavement to find out, like, what is the plan? How are you going to be able to maintain safety on set when theoretically anything that someone who, you know, has coronavirus who could be, you know, asymptomatic, anything that they touch could then therefore you know, infect someone else, um, you know, maintaining distance, just the just the camera. I mean, there's usually like three or four people just around the camera within inches of one another, you know, let alone any physical interaction between the actors, obviously, glam squad, hair, makeup, all those things. I I just don't understand how they're going to do it. I'm curious uh, where they're going to be shooting this, because as you know, Los Angeles, um, California just extended the stay at home orders until what beginning of August at this point. Well, not- July, it's, it's really interesting. Anna and I were talking about this last night because it's a really interesting thing because, you know, on one hand, they're saying they're probably going to extend the stay at home order. While at the same time, they're slowly starting to allow businesses to reopen. And then the L.A. mayor got on. I don't know if you saw the L.A. mayor's address yesterday. Well, I saw that we all have to wear masks anytime we leave the house. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. L.A. mayor was like, no, we're not going to be closed down for three more months. But I which I, I, I don't get I, the way the UFC is doing it. And I don't know if this is transferable to a movie set. Mm-hmm. The way the UFC seems to be doing it is they um Number one, make sure everybody who's going to be involved is reportedly healthy. Then everybody who's going to be involved have to go to this hotel and isolate. Then they test everybody in the hotel. And so long as everybody tests clean, then they can all go like two or three days later and go and do the event while also still wearing masks and blah, blah, blah. And it seems to have worked because the first big UFC event, there was a really good one last night, but the first big UFC event on Saturday, they did catch a person who had it and they were able to remove them from the situation. They Mm -hmm. retested everybody else and they were able to go. The difference between that and, you know, filming a project is a UFC fight, you film it in one day. It's an isolated, you know, you can isolate everyone. And then once you shoot, everybody's free to go about their lives. Whereas if you're filming, you know, a movie such as Matrix 4, that's going to take several months. It's impossible to isolate an entire crew of people for that extended period of time. You go and shoot on the Isle of Dr. Monroe or something like that. (laughs) Right. And especially with a television show, you know, I, I, you know, I'm, CBS has recently announced a lot of the television networks have announced all of their pickups and their drops. And sadly, your show. Sh- I know. I know. I was like, we were guaranteed. I, we were I given an entire we, season. I don't think we told people the, oh. the show you were going to be involved oh, in. Oh, yes. I go, was go ca- ahead. So I was cast in a pretty significant recurring role on uh, the CBS series, The Lincoln Lawyer, which um, Logan Marshall Green, who I've worked with before, was supposed to be playing the Matthew McConaughey role. And the cool thing about the project is that it was going to be executive produced by David E. Kelly and Michael uh, Connolly, who... Connolly or Con- Connolly, yes, who actually wrote the book, uh, The Lincoln Lawyer. So having those creative entities involved in it, there was just a lot of excitement. And um, it was already picked up for a full season. And in fact, I remember I went in for my uh, for my fitting and then two days later, the showrunner called me and said, you know, 
we're going to have to halt the production right now. But don't worry. You know, we're the lucky ones because we've already ping- been picked up. A lot of these pilots won't see the light of day, but we're our, we're we're set to go. So he goes, and I just finished writing a really cool scene for you. And I was like, yay. Um, so I was pretty bummed about that. You know, it, it certainly was a, a moment where all of a sudden the financial panic uh, really hit me um, because I was sort of going, all right, well, this sucks for right now, but at least I know I have a job waiting for me. And so, um, uh, but beyond that, beyond me, I'm an actor. We're perpetually unemployed. There's always, <laughs> <laughs> that's what I had to remind myself of is, oh, right. I've been here before. There just wasn't a pandemic. I will work again, which is how you just have to be as an actor. Um, but I, I, with all of these announcements of pickups, I'm still going, well, wait a minute. There's no plan in place for how this is going to work. I mean, are you going to uh, test everybody first thing Monday morning? And if you have one, I, I know that there's some tests that are super, super fast that are like 15 minutes. Um, but are those widely available? Uh, that that was one theory that I had heard. Um, I just don't know how it's going to work. And I have, I have a theory. And bear with me on this, Don. Okay. I feel like the peop- the the entity who's really going to figure it out first, and they're going to pave the way for how the rest of the entertainment industry works, is the porn industry. They usually do. They do. They? I mean, think about it. Like, don't they usually do all the innovation? So when there was the big decision of like, are we going to go like DVD or Laserdisc or DVD Blu-ray? And it was the, the entire industry was up in the air. There's the VHS and Betamax. Right. Thing Essentially, before, yeah. it's like the porn industry goes, mm, VHS. And then everybody goes VHS. The porn industry goes, uh... DVD and then everybody goes and you never hear of laser discs ever again. You know, the porn industry has lasted through when it was through the when it was illegal. It lasted through the AIDS crisis. It lasted through the syphilis epidemic that happened a couple of years ago. The porn industry will never die as long as there are like freaky people that want to get on there and like look at feet or furries or whatever they want to look at. (laughs) Whatever. And look at The porn industry (laughs) will last forever. I actually have a friend who was a performer and I was thinking last night, I was like, I'm going to call her and find out. So I will get to the bottom of what the porn industry is doing. And that's what the rest of us will do as well. And then we will know how the thing, how the tides are going to shift. Question here is guys, what do you think about the notion of matrix four going back into production in July? Possibly are you like me? Do you have like one side is like, yay. And the other side is like, huh? But how are you feeling about it? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that stuff down, let's move on to our main topics today. And how do we select our main topics here in the John Campy Show? Well, you see, it's really rather simple. You guys come up with them by going anytime 24-7 over to www.thejohncampyshow.com slash contact. Once you get there, you're going to see a form. Fill it out with your topic or question. It's absolutely free. Hit submit. And then maybe, just maybe, you might see your submission featured as a main topic here on the John Campius Show. With that down, Let's get to main topic number one. And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by KR. And KR writes, 
Greetings from Canada, John. Well, greetings. It was announced not long ago that Florence Pugh, Shia LaBeouf, and Chris Pine, what a cast, uh, were joining Olivia Wilde's new thriller, Don't Worry, Darling. Now, Dakota Johnson has also joined the film. I know you love Wilde's previous film, Booksmart. So how excited are you for this project? And what do you think of the cast? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, listen, I'll tell you what. So Olivia Wilde, besides being one of the maybe top 20 male or female most beautiful creatures to be walking the face of the earth, um, is she directed her first movie. And I, you know, I hear all these accolades about Booksmart before it comes out, right? I hear all these accolades about Booksmart. And I'm like, eh, maybe they're just doing it because Olivia Wilde is is a darling in the film industry and they're just being kind. And then I went to go watch Booksmart and I'm like, this is why you make movies. These, these types of quirky, entertaining, yet heart and all this kind of stuff. I love that movie. And it was really great as I started seeing what we do in the shadows to see one of the girls from Booksmart in what we do in the shadows, which is pretty good. Joni Hill's sister. Um, Anyway, side note. So I love that movie. So yes, now comes along. She's doing this new movie, which obviously I'm very excited about because I love what she did with that first one. And the cast is incredible. And you're right. They've just added Dakota Johnson. This comes to us from Variety who writes, Dakota Johnson is in negotiations to join the starry ensemble of Don't Worry Darling, a psychological thriller from director Olivia Wilde. Sources tell Variety. Wilde has a key supporting role on screen as well. So Olivia is also going to be in the movie, which I think is great. Though little is known about the movie's plot, Don't Worry Darling is set in an isolated utopian community in the 1950s California desert. Katie uh, Silberman, who co-wrote Booksmart and penned the Netflix rom-com Set It Up, will write a new draft of the script. New Line Cinemas is backing Don't Worry Darling and considers it a high priority, having landed the rights after a heated bidding war due to the critical acclaim of Wilde's directorial debut of Booksmart. You know, it's funny. You're in a, you have a project that you're trying to sell and no one's picking it up. And then all of a sudden you put out a hit movie and boom, everybody wants your project. Everybody wants it at that point. But, but seriously, listen, the whole thing about uh, Fifty Shades aside, put, put Fifty Shades aside, I think Dakota Johnson is really good. I, I enjoy her a lot. And I'm forgetting, oh, uh, what is the name of the hotel? Uh, Bad Times at the El Royale. I really liked her in the Bad Times at the El Royale. I think she's pretty strong. You add to that Shia LaBeouf, Pew. You're adding um, uh, Chris, Pine. Chris Pine, who is great. I love him. I think he's fantastic. I think this sounds really good. And so, yeah, sign me up for it. Uh, I'm excited about it. I'm just excited to see whatever Olivia Wilde is doing next after Booksmart. You add a cast like this, add the thriller element to it, say Olivia herself is going to pop up in it. I mean, hey, the movie might end up being an absolute train wreck, but right now I think there's a lot to look forward to. Aaron, you hear this news. What do you make of all this? She had me at psychological thriller. Mm. I love a psychological thriller. With spiders. Definitely not. Sorry. And then you throw in 1950s utopia. Like the 1950s was such a weird time, um, especially when we look back on it through the lens of today. Uh, so I, I'm really excited to see how that what that story actually is. But the setup, the premise already, I'm incredibly intrigued. And you're right. Olivia Wilde came out the gate swinging hard. I love the fact that she not only had told this beautiful story that was heartfelt and really dug into the teen angst that I know I personally lived in horror with for many years, but like that so many of us can relate to. But also she had claymation in there. She just like stuck a little claymation in there and we totally were like, I'm on board. Okay, I buy this. 
Um, I mistakenly uh, was in such a rush to tweet about what we were going to talk about today that I wrote Dakota Fanning. So for all of you that caught that, yes, <laughs> yeah, I, I know it's Dakota Johnson. Yes, I do think that this is an exciting cast. And I love that Shia LaBeouf is... Uh, is is coming back more. I think that he went through a little period where people maybe weren't so sure about you know where he was as you know is he someone that we want to have on a set. Um, but then he did Honey Boy. He's resurrected. He is such a talented actor and always has been. And I'm really excited to see him in this. And yeah, I think this is going to be a really good sophomore film for Olivia Wilde that's just going to solidify her as one of the really great directors right now. You know, and, and not only Shy had an incredible year between Honey Boy and Peanut Butter Falcon. Yeah. And I can just sit here and hope that she, like she did in Booksmart, makes a role for her husband, Jason Sudeikis, because Jason oh. Sudeikis was so good in, in uh, Booksmart as well. So yeah. anyway, guys, you hear about this. I think this sounds fascinating. I love the cast. I love that Olivia Wilde's doing it. So I'm very on board with this. How do you guys feel about it? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two, shall we? And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Geeky Gator, who writes in, Hey, John and crew. A set photo of the main cast in the upcoming Avatar sequels was released online, and both the image and caption seem to suggest a good majority of the movie and acting takes place underwater. Aaron has talked about how water scenes can be her, can be hard before on the show. How exactly can these actors act while underwater? All right, thanks a lot for writing that in, man. And yes. Avatar 2, the movie that has been delayed more times than New Mutants, which we'll get to in just a little bit, they're still putting out stuff. I mean, we've seen recently, even during the lockdown, they've been releasing some behind-the-scenes photos, keeping everybody, reminding everybody, hey, guys, Avatar 2 is coming. Now, we've also known for a while that Avatar 2 was going to feature a lot of the underwater parts of the world, right? We've known that, but it sounds like it's going to be even more prevalent than we thought. This picture was something the Avatar official Twitter put out and of course, in the in the water there, you can see Sam Worthington and Cliff Curtis, who I, I'm really becoming a big fan of Cliff Curtis, actually. Uh, Kate Winslet, Zoe Saldana, all there under the water with what looks like, you know what that looks like on the surface of the water? It's those, you know how when you see the, the actors in the motion capture shoots, they have all those white like ping pong balls all over them? It looks like they're covering the entire surface of the water with that. And I'm, I'm wondering if they're motion capturing the movement of the water. No. No, you know what it is? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, then I want to go over, first of all, before we even, let, let me read the caption. Then I want to ask you what that is. Because I was, I've been fascinated by these little white balls on the, on the thing. Um, from the set of the sequel, Zoe Saldana, Sam Worthington, Kate Winslet, and Cliff Curtis take a break from underwater performance capture for a quick photo. Fun fact, much of the performance capture took place in this 900,000 gallon tank built specifically for the sequels. Okay. I've got it. I'm going to be completely sidetracked until I know what this is. That's okay. What, what are those white balls? So the white balls are actually put, it's something that James Cameron and his crew came up with, not on this, but on another project. Um, because when light comes through the top of the water, it ref, uh, ref, reflects and refracts and it does all kinds of funny things. It makes, um, it makes whatever you're filming underwater obscured and you don't get an actual real uh, visual. Um, if you've ever looked at your thighs in a bathtub, 
that then you understand mm. <laughs> it's a really weird way of saying that but yeah so it's actually they put the ping pong balls on the layer on the top of the water because they'll float but it also doesn't create a barrier that wouldn't allow the actors to come through so when the actors need to come up and get some air they just come up out of the ping pong balls but when they go down the balls create um almost like a um like a, a layer that doesn't allow the light to come through properly that's fascinating yeah okay so let me James ask Cameron innovating everything let me ask you then as an actor like the whole note first of all that looks like they're having a blast I mean yeah. just but who doesn't love to sit on a pool noodle <laughs> how <laughs> oh there's I know I know, I know. I am, as soon as it came out of my I'm, mouth I'm, as soon as it came out of my mouth nope nope not gonna go there. hey you were fascinated with all those white balls so. I mean, well yes who's not fascinated <laughs> who, who doesn't love sweaty balls um but yeah how do you shoot a movie? I mean, I've been on several feature film movie sets as an observer, and, and I've done some extra stuff. And it's like, I, I'm always amazed at the pure amount of administration and coordination that goes into orchestrating 100 people on set, 200 people making a move. How the hell do you do something like this underwater? Like, like what, what like kind of additional challenges does, does that add to trying to do something like that, Aaron? Well, okay, first, I'm just going to preface this by saying I get it. Actors are paid oftentimes a lot of money to deal with whatever. And so in the grand scheme of things, especially these days, complaining about getting a little water on you is so not a big deal. And it's a very privileged position. So please keep in mind that I am saying what I'm about to say from the position of doing a scene on land and you're dry versus doing a scene in the water where you're soaking wet. Doing the scene in water where you're soaking wet totally sucks as compared to doing it dry on land. There. Now that I've said that, yes, shooting a water scene is horrible. I hate it. I hate it whenever I watch it. I'm always cringing. I'm like, oh, God, there. Because... Um, First of all, it's just it's um it's just logistical. It takes a lot longer when you see someone who's even taking a shower. I know that they're having to put their hair a certain way so that it doesn't get on their perfect makeup unless they get to have the water all over their face, which is great. But then you're getting in the shower and out of the shower and in the shower. Um and I remember during Spartacus, a little tangent here. There was, you know, uh Spartacus had killed the guy that had never been you know beaten before and then all of a sudden it rains and he's the bringer of the rain and so the entire next episode it was raining every single day every time we went on set rain 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 non-stop rain and um i remember and so andy and jai courtney andy whitfield and jai courtney who were playing spartacus and varro they're running around all the guys all the spart the gladiators are running around in these in basically underwear and they're wet all day from beginning to end and we're in New Zealand it's the middle of the New Zealand winter which is July and um, we're shooting in essentially a tin can it was not a proper insulated studio so there's no you know oh we're gonna heat no there's no heat and they're running over to them spraying them with water so that they're soaking wet the whole time and then they're waiting and waiting and waiting oh we're about to shoot spray 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 wait 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 oh we're not, something's wrong with the camera spray and Andy got pneumonia he oh ended up getting, yeah, he ended up developing pneumonia, and that was why he wasn't able to go to Comic-Con that year. We all w went to Comic-Con, and he was stuck in winter New Zealand because he had pneumonia, and he was pissed. But the, I remember just like having to constantly be wet and cold and your clothes are clinging to you in Bitch Slap. We had that like super sexy water fight scene, yeah. which was basically like when you're on camera like, ah! 
oh, don't slash me with the water. <laughs> and then we'd have to run over and somebody's filling up buckets. We're like, ah, 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 getting the bucket so not sexy. And then, ah, it's just, <laughs> it's, it's, it, it, it is very challenging to just act natural when you're um, in a very unnatural state. The thing about James Cameron, which I, I did some reading on this and I loved, is he's actually with the kids, with all the actors, they did six months of water training yeah, prior to starting the that. film. So now they can hold their breath you know, up to two and four, two to four minutes, which is a long time to hold your breath if you've ever tried it, and especially to be underwater. But, you know, just being able to open your eyes underwater, that's an uncomfortable feeling. You get used to it. The good thing that they have going for them is that um, they're wearing wetsuits that are probably specially made to be in the water. They are not having to worry about hair and makeup and all of those other sorts of things. So this actually seems like a project that would be fun because it's exclusively in the water. Um, I do hate scenes where you have to get in and out of the water. It's just it's cold. It's a nightmare. It's not so it's not fun. So, Castaneda's guys, what do you make about that? Like, I I knew they were going to do water stuff. Obviously, they've talked about that, but that they're shooting so much of it. And how do they do it? And I don't know. Does the fact that they keep putting out like some behind the scenes stuff does that start to make it feel real? Because for the longest time, a lot of us are like Avatar Two is never coming. Does them putting out this type of material kind of solidify for you that yes, it's a real thing. It is coming. What do you think about this stuff? Jump down in the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, that down. Let's move on to main topic number three. And our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Daniel Hogan, who writes, Hello, John. A year ago saw the release of Detective Pikachu. It's crazy that it's been a year. I think yesterday was the official one-year anniversary of, of Detective Pikachu coming up. I remember how so many Pokemon fans were convinced it was going to make a billion dollars. Yet here we are uh, a year later, and not only does nobody talk about the movie, but the film made $433 million, which isn't great for a movie with the budget slash marketing costs this movie had. It was still pretty good, though. I mean, I'll, I'll take a movie that makes $433 million. It was still pretty good. Uh, note, the movie was not on Deadline's 20, top 25 most valuable blockbusters. What are your thoughts on the missed opportunity Pikachu ended up being all right thanks a lot for sending that in man and yeah it, it's been a year it's crazy how much it's been a year and i remember going in when i first heard about detective pikachu was being made i was pretty cool on it like i'm like yeah it i mean it doesn't really sound all that interesting yeah ryan reynolds is involved i'm a big ryan reynolds fan so i don't know maybe you'll something but then the trailers came out and the trailers are like okay, I'm all about this. This looks really charming and really good. And then I saw it and I'll, I'll be honest with you. That was like, yeah, it was, it was, it was all right. The movie was okay. It, it was not as good in my opinion as the trailers made it out to be. Uh, it certainly had some moments and it certainly made you smile and grin and chuckle sometimes throughout the movie. I just thought it could have been and maybe should have been better. So where, but it still made $433 million. It was profitable. And it's this massive IP so where is it? The folks over at Cinema Blend wrote a really interesting article about it. This is an excerpt from there that writes, setting aside the fact that it doesn't seem right that Detective Pikachu only came out a year ago, at this point, it feels like the movie must have been released the better part of a decade ago, considering how hyped everybody was for the idea of a sequel 12 months ago. You'd think we would have heard something by now. If the project is an act of concern, you'd expect to hear more about it, even if what we were hearing was news of behind the scenes issue causing delays. Instead, we're hearing nothing. 
And it isn't just us. Earlier this year, Justice Smith, who starred in the first Detective Pikachu alongside Ryan Reynolds as the title character, admitted that he has also not heard anything about a potential sequel. All right, so that came in there. It, it is an interesting thing. The whole Pikachu situation was interesting because I do remember going into it and I said, look guys, this movie's not gonna make a billion dollars, but I had so many people insisting to me, John, you have no idea what you're talking about. Pokemon is the number one valued IP in the world when it comes to entertainment IPs. And I said, yes, that's true. But you know what the number three most valuable entertainment IP in the world is? You never be Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> Winnie the Pooh. And look at what Winnie the Pooh movie did. It, mm. it really didn't do much, even though Christopher Robbins was, was great. I really did enjoy them. I thought Ewan McGregor was fantastic in that. So we're sitting on this situation where it comes out I love the trailer, so I started getting my hype up personally as well. And the movie was decent. It was a decent little film. But I'll tell you what, I was open to the idea of a sequel because I thought the premise was good enough. And the, certainly Pikachu himself, they made it such an adorable character with Ryan Reynolds. I thought you could do a sequel and you could build on it. Like you could make it better. And so I was involved all up on that. But it, at the end of the day... You're right. When you consider the expense of the movie plus the expense of the marketing, it really didn't make much. And I thought that made them very cautious. But am I surprised that today, Aaron, we're sitting here still with not only no Pikachu sequel, but no news at all. And apparently no movement at all on a Pikachu sequel. I will say, yes, I'm surprised by it. I, I thought that they would have tried to build on what they did in the first one. And I'm telling you what, every day that passes, I will believe less and less that one is actually going to happen. Like if you were to ask me today, I still think a Detective Pikachu movie will happen, but I'm less certain of that than I was yesterday. And tomorrow I'll be less certain still. Aaron, when you look at a situation like the Detective Pikachu movie and all that kind of stuff, are you surprised we haven't gotten a sequel yet? And do you still think we'll get one? What do you think? I think if we do get one, it will be a much lower budget video on demand. Um, mm. You know, you're, you're right. The, if there were people in your orbit saying this movie's gonna make a billion dollars, blah, 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 blah. There were people certainly involved in the movie that were saying this movie's gonna make a million dollars, blah, blah, blah. They were very excited about that. And so, yes, I agree. $433 million. That's, that's wonderful. And any movie that makes its money back and then some is technically a success. However, if I'm the executive and I'm looking at d the decision of whether or not to make a sequel, I go, all right, sequels usually are going to make less money than the original. Usually, right? I mean, I don't see you agreeing or disagreeing <laughs> yeah, with that. Yeah, it's it's hard. It's to hard say to one say. Or the other. Yeah. Sure, but I go okay. Well, you know, we're we're probably going to have a little bit of a retraction of a retraction here. So, can we afford that? Because if I'm only coming in and I'm bare and I'm really not making a significant profit, that's really you know going to help the studio in a big way. I don't know if I'm willing to take the risk on something that is going to be costly to make, is going to be costly to um, market, and may not necessarily give me a return. Again, I might be willing to go, all right, well, what can we do for a lower budget that we can just do a release on demand if there is an idea that you know is exciting and interesting? But yeah, if there's no word about it, then clearly the momentum has been lost. Um, you know, the people who were really excited about it in the beginning probably were looking forward to a, a billion dollar paycheck and they didn't get it. So they're kind of like, on to the next. 
it, the uh, compounding that was the overall reception to the movie because if you got the original movie out and if it does all right but everybody loved it right then your prospects of doing the sequel are are enhanced your your prospects of get making more money on the next one are enhanced but Again, I think the general feeling of Pikachu was positive. I, I think the general feeling of Pikachu was positive, but I feel like it wasn't overly enthusiastic. And I yeah. think that's probably given a little bit of pause too. Guys, question is, whew, it's been a year since that movie came out. That's crazy to me. What do you think about the prospects of a Detective Pikachu sequel? Do you think it's going to happen? And in general, what did you think? Now, a year later, as you look back, what did you think about the movie? I enjoyed it. I just wasn't as good as I was kind of hoping it would be. How did you feel about it? Jump into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right. With that down and out of the way, let's now move on to our fourth and final main topic today. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Tommy Doyle, who writes, John, did you hear? I just got a tweet from New Mutants Update that says August 28th, the new movie has officially found its fifth release date and i am pumped out of my mind your thoughts on this and does this amplify your anticipation for the film all right thanks a lot for sending that in man and yep it was during the waning moments of the john campy show yesterday that news came out that disney had now set a new release date the fifth release date for new mutants and it is indeed set on August 28th. This is the word coming in from Deadline. The pick's history, get this, of release dates includes April 13th, 2018. Now wrap your heads around this, guys. Wrap your heads around this. 2013, like 18. one, three, April, oh, 18. April 13th, 2018. Now get this. If this movie does make its August 28th release date, it will be nearly two and a half years from when it was originally supposed to come out. Wrap your heads around that for a second. If it does come out at the end of August, it will be almost two and a half years since it was originally supposed to come out. That's how long we have been talking about these movies. Half of this cast are going to be celebrating the birth of their first grandchildren <laughs> by the time this movie comes out. So hey, the, the, the motion pictures history of release dates includes April 13th, 2018, which then got bumped famously to February 22nd of 2019, which then got bumped to August 2nd, 2019, and then to April 3rd of this year. And then, of course, all hell broke loose with the lockdown. So that April 3rd date went bye-bye, uh, making us all just speculate, this thing is cursed. Um, and, uh, and now, of course, we've got August 28th. How old is New Mutants? Old Fox first dropped a trailer. Get this. Old Fox first dropped a trailer for the Josh Boone-directed movie at CinemaCon in 2017. It has been three years. It has been three years and one month since the first trailer for um, New Mutants came out. Three years since the first trailer came out. Even though uh, there, were there were rumors that New Mutants would head to Hulu pre-Fox merger, Disney has remained committed to the pick's theatrical release. And that's where we're at on New Mutants. So ladies and gentlemen, for the fifth time, I announce to you that New Mutants has a release date and it's August 28th. Now this raises a couple of really, really interesting questions. Interesting question number one. Is it actually going to hit that release date? 
and and listen, I, I don't mean to sound skeptical, but the fact of the matter is, it's been bumped so many times. And while I am not a superstitious person, the question of is this movie cursed has to be asked at this point. Like it looked like, look, it finally got a new studio home. It's at Disney. Disney's given it a new release date, April third, and then the pandemic. And now we're at we're at for August twenty eighth. Because I'm going to tell you this. Even though we're looking at Tenet for July 17th and Unhinged for July 1st and Mulan for, I think, for July 23rd or something like that, and then Wonder Woman earlier in August, and now this in August 20th, there's no guarantee yet that come August, theaters are going to be open again. I'm just saying, I'm not being skeptical. I think they will be open by by August. I think they will be open by July. But you just got to keep in mind that as of right now, there's no guarantee these, these theaters are even going to be open, all right? I'm feeling this. If this movie, for whatever reason, beyond its control, does not hit the August 28th release date, for whatever reason, I think Disney just goes, F it. And then they take it and they drop it on Hulu. I just feel like that's going to happen. But the second interesting part of this question is this. You asked in the question, does this amp up your enthusiasm? And I, that's a standard question to ask, but I think it takes on a new layer of interest here. Because this is the fifth time we've heard a release date for this movie. It has been over three years since the first trailer came out and nearly two and a half years since the movie was supposed to be in theaters. I've got to say that I think my excitement has waned a bit. I think my excitement's gone down a bit, not through any fault of the movie, but just because how long can you drag this out? Uh, before it actually happens. So I'm still excited for it. I want to see this movie. I just really hope they're able to make this date because if they don't make this date, I think Disney at this point just has to say, we need to cut our losses. Let's make something good come out of this. Let's at least try to get some benefit out of this by dropping it on a Hulu or something along those lines. Aaron, you have seen the ongoing drama. Uh, it's like an Australian soap opera. The ongoing drama <laughs> of what's been going on with New Mutants. What do you think about this new date? Because I think some people thought when they do give it a new date, it might be in 2021 or something like that. What do you think about them? Number one, giving it a new date. Number two, putting it as early as August. And where do you think people's excitement is going to be? And what do they do if they don't make this date? A lot, of, a lot in there to unpack. What do you think? I think it's shockingly ambitious for a film that has been pushed so many times for them to jump in as early as August, which, yes, I'm with you. I'm remaining cautiously optimistic, and I hope that all the movie theaters are open and thriving and people just flocking with their masks on, germ-free, tested for <laughs> COVID, happy and healthy, not spreading any diseases or cooties. I really do hope that that is the case. But you're right. At this point, we just don't know. There's too many unknowns. And so in order for them to say, oh, we're going to we're going to put this out there at a time which is really so up in the air by researchers and epidemiologists and uh, politicians, everybody. Nobody actually knows what's going to happen. What we do know is that kids won't even be going to school. Like schools are being canceled for the fall. So the fact that people are expecting that people will be rushing to movie theaters, I, I, I don't really understand the decision since this film has been put off so many times. Why rush it back? Why not? hold off and say we're going to release this february of 2021 when we have a maybe a better idea let some of the other projects go to the films uh, go to the theaters first um i do feel like there this film must have something special to it 
for them to continuously keep pushing it out, uh, continue to keep pushing the date and actually want to put it in theaters. Like they could have easily after the third time it was pushed said, you know what? Fuck it. We're just going to put it on VOD. But they didn't. They clearly know something that we don't. So I am excited for that, that clearly there's something that they feel is so exciting about this movie that it just deserves a theatrical release. That gives me hope. Mm. But also, I wonder, you know, this is not a historical piece. And this is not like, let's face it. The X-Men movies are not necessarily known for standing the test of time. You know, they they tell a very specific uh, point of view from a very specific period of time that has colloquialisms and what we're currently dealing with oftentimes, you know, in a lot of its subtext. Are there going to be pieces of the movie that are sort of irrelevant at this point? A lot mm. has changed in the world in just three years or four years since they've actually been filming it. So I just kind of wonder... Um, when we watch this, will we be like, oh, yeah, that was clearly shot in 2016 or, you know, what, whatever. I'm just wondering, will it stand the test of time? And yeah, will we will we actually see it? I personally would have gone for February 2021. That's just me. Just to, just to date this a little bit, to put it in context about how long ago this movie, I was... I was still hosting Collider Movie Talk when when this movie was supposed to be when tr the trailer for this movie dropped and all that kind of stuff. Put put that in a little bit of a time capsule. Question here for you guys is, what do you think about this? It it is ambitious for them to take it and put it out quickly, but then again, maybe they're thinking, "Hey man, we the first trailer for this dropped 3 years ago. We got to get this in theaters." Does it show to you that yeah, the studio because remember Disney now has Mulan coming out in July, and now they've dropped this in August. Does that tell you that Disney feels pretty confident that these theaters are going to be open? Do you think that they maybe should have put it off a little bit? Do you think maybe, nah, man, it's just time? And that if for whatever reason it can't make that August 28th date, what do you think they should do with it? Should they just reschedule it again, or should they just cut their losses and say, you know what, now let's put it on Hulu? I don't know. A lot to unpack here. How do you guys see it? Jump into the comments section below and let me know your thoughts all right guys with all that main stuff out of the way we're now going to move on and start taking your live questions but just before we do we're going to let you know how you do that first the best way and the questions we get to first are the ones that are sent in via the tip link which you can see in the description of this video right at the top of the description if you don't see it there you can just go to streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip you'll be supporting the channel and you'll be getting your question in there and if for whatever reason you can't use that feel free to go ahead and use the super chat feature on youtube we'll get to those ones as as well after we get through the tip questions all right but before we do that we are going to take a short couple of minute break here rest the vocal cords stretch the legs of course i got to go refill my delicious zevia cola sponsor me you sons of bitches <laughs> um and uh, then we will be right back so you guys run and use the bathroom do what you got to do don't go anywhere we will be right back all right, guys, and we are back. Thank you so much for your patience and indulgence as we took a little bit of a break there. And now let's jump over and start taking the questions you guys have sent in. We're going to start things off here with uh, Kevin's famous chili who writes, uh, massive respect for never being afraid to speak your mind regardless of what others think. Don't always agree with you, but I will always respect you. It's the main reason I watch your show every day. Thanks for all the hard work. Well, I appreciate that, Kevin, very much. Here's the thing. I, I say this quite often. But it's, it's quite important. My job, I've always said, is not to say what people agree with. My job is also, what I find a lot of YouTubers, they mistakenly think their job is not only to say things that their viewers agree with, but is often to 
try to convince viewers to agree with their point of view. My job is not to say what people agree with. And my job is not to try to convince other people to agree with my point of view. My job is to give my honest opinion on something, whether it's the popular opinion or not, and then hopefully express my opinion in such a way that it helps you, the viewer, sharpen your understanding about why you agree with me or help you sharpen your understanding about why you disagree with me. So if a viewer of one of my videos walks away with a clearer and a firmer picture in their own head about why they agree or why they disagree with me, then I've done my job. That That's my job here and that's what I'm here to do. So I've always talked about, you know what, anybody can have cameras. Anybody can have lights, anybody can have computers, anybody can have a switcher, anybody can have all that. All you have, and I say this whenever I speak at a conference or something like that to people who want to get going in YouTube or whatever. What I always tell people is the only thing you have that is unique to you is your voice. That's it. You have your voice and your opinion. And no matter what, whether it's popular or unpopular, always speak what your opinion is. Because at the end of the day, that's all you got. And if you do it, then and you do it right, you have to make sure your audience knows that whatever it is you say, whether it's a popular thing you're saying or whether it's an unpopular thing you're saying, you always have to make sure that your audience knows at the end of the day, well, at least we know that's what they really think. That is what he really, because if he's saying this, that's what he, that he, uh, that's what he really thinks. That's key. That's important. And I hope that if, if you're looking at starting a blog, YouTube channel, podcast, always give your honest opinion because if nothing else, your audience always has to know that if you're saying something, it's what you really think. And everything else will work itself out, but you got to be able to do that. So anyway, thank you for the kind words, Kevin. All right, David uh, Dilks writes, I like the rise of Skywalker uh, best out of the Disney Star Wars films. Finn and Hux had stuff to do. I agree with that. I agree with that, that that was an improvement. Both Hux and Finn were improved. I, I agree with that, at least over The Last Jedi for that part. Uh, Ray was explained. Yeah, but explained horribly. Uh, Leia had a lightsaber. I'm not so sure how good or bad that was. Knights of Ren were in it, but they didn't do anything. Uh, Palpatine didn't tell jokes. Yeah, but he didn't make sense either. Uh, good space force and lightsaber fights. Lando felt like Lando. Lando did feel like Lando. I'll give the movie that as well. And they fixed hyperspace. I don't think hyperspace was broken. Rise of Skywalker is a really interesting thing, and I'm still going to do a video. I have to do a video on uh, my personal post-mortem of the Rise of Skywalker and lots of other YouTube channels have done like videos about everything wrong with the Rise of Skywalker. I, I get it, there are lots of those out there, but I feel like I need to do it as a therapy for myself. I feel like I need to do something, some self-therapeutic stuff by just sitting down because you guys know I didn't like the Rise of Skywalker, but I think I need to sit down and just do a video of my own that's walking through a post-mortem on it now six months later, however long it's been and say, okay, here is what I personally, as we'll go through in a little bit of a longer form, break down point by point. Here are some things that I think they did well, like Lando was Lando, but, and here are some things that are the reasons why I walked away as it being the first Disney film, first Disney Star Wars film that I watched, I was really quite disappointed in, but I'll have to do that. But David, the great thing about these movies is they're all subjective and we each have our own unique interaction with them and our own unique experience. And if you enjoyed it more, that's the important thing and good on you for that. All right. Uh, next up here, we've got, um, uh, Bummy Kissinger writes, uh, three questions. Well, I'll take one of them. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if these were your choices, who would you pick as the villain for the third Tom Holland Spider-Man? I, I, yeah. uh, which film would you pick for a fourth Spider-Man Disney appearance? That's an interesting question. And who would you pick for Spider-Man villain after Venom 2? Okay, I'm not going to worry about that. But I will talk about here the thing about which would you pick for the fourth Spider-Man Disney appearance? Because he's got the Spider-Man 3 that he's doing. 
And then instead of it being a Spider-Man 4, they'll probably have him appear in another title, right? What would be a good fit for Spider-Man? Whose movie would Spider-Man be a good fit for? That's interesting. I think, Aaron, one of the movies you take out of the equation right away is um, I think you take Thor Love and Thunder out. I, I just don't see how Spider-Man fits or any Guardians thing. I just, and mm -hmm. I said, but John in the cartoons, I know what they did in the cartoons, but I don't think anything on a galactic level really fits with what Spider-Man did. Right. Yes, I know he went into space in Infinity War, but that was a different situation. I like Spider-Man on, on skyscrapers. Spider, yeah, they, we want to see on skyscrapers. Spidey swinging through the city, right? Um, so if I had to pick out of one that's coming, I also don't know that he fits in well with the metaphysical world. So, you know, I don't think a Doctor Strange would be all that great. And there's there's somebody licking my feet. It's <laughs> Sorry, little, John. It's oh. little Joey Bishop. <laughs> Joey Bishop was trying to get my attention by licking my feet. Hello, Joey Bishop. Um, so, uh, we're, oh, oh no, she's trying to crawl up into my chair. Okay, so um, Joey Bishop is a dog, by the way, just in case you thought there were some things going on here. Um, so... Then, so I don't think he fits in well with Doctor Strange either. So now I'm trying to think of a movie that could come later. I'll say this. I think with his humor type and the character type, I think it would be really fun to see Tom Holland's Spider-Man on screen with, um, are you growling at me now? Oh my gosh. Uh, with um, Paul Rudd's Ant-Man. There. I'll oh, say, that's I actually think a combination of that Spider-Man with Paul Rudd's Ant-Man would be a really fun combo. Aaron, if you had to pick one other uh, Marvel movie that Spider-Man appears in besides his own as his last film on the contract with Marvel, which movie would you put him in with? Which character would you put him with? Um, you know, I really like the Spider-Man-Ant-Man combo just because the comedy right there would be fantastic. Um, but I'm... <sighs> I want, I mean, I, I kind of want to see, I don't know, maybe, maybe I like him with, 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 with Falcon. I like him with, 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 Ooh. yeah, because there's just, I, I'm, I, I'm just imagining something that is so aerial in nature where, a, where you could do so many really cool visual effects if, the predominant, I mean, just like where we were just talking about how Avatar 2, you know, the first Avatar took place in more of a, you know, a forest type environment. And now it's taking place all underwater. I love the idea of seeing um, a film that predominantly features aerial feats and acts and, you know, people flying, you know, him flying through his web and Falcon flying on his wings. And um, I just like the idea of it being predominantly you know, above the ground. Joey's saying hi. Joey's <laughs> been sitting there growling at me. Well, it's not a growl. Feet, it's her like, thing that she does my, where she's like, oh, pay attention like, to me. And she's yeah. licking my feet trying to get my attention. So here, you can you can sit up here on my lap. That's when she wants to sit on the lap. For a yeah. minute there. Okay. Um, all right, let's move on. I'm going to try to do this with Joey. She's Bishop. a little distracting, she, I know. Uh, she's a sweet That's why girl. I was like, aerial stuff? Aerial what? Uh, okay, let's see here. Uh, Willow writes, every time I think about Denis Villeneuve's enemy, now I think about how freaked out Aaron would be by the ending. God, Willow, I wish you hadn't said that because it would have been great for me just to sit down with Aaron sometime to say, let's watch this movie. What uh, is the movie? It's called Enemies by Denis Villeneuve, who is doing... We'll never He's, watch it then. He did uh, He did Prisoners with Hugh Jackman and Jake Gyllenhaal, and he did uh, Arrival, mm -hmm. and he did uh, Blade Runner 2049, and mm. he's directing the upcoming Dune 
movie. Oh, wow. He is... He's, On fire. Yeah, he's just the guy. Good, good Canadian kid, by the way. One of the best, most exciting directors in the business right now. And we're all really, really looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with uh Dune. And so I take it there's a big spider at the end of I'm this? I'm not going to say anything. Uh, all right. An anonymous viewer writes, uh, for anyone interested in behind the scenes of movies, Disney Plus has a show called Prop Culture. Very interesting look at certain props from beloved movies. I especially enjoyed the Roger Rabbit episode. <gasps> okay. That sounds interesting. Oh my God. I will watch that. See, here's the thing. I'm, I've been criticized Disney Plus a lot lately because like they came out of the gate they've been running for almost six months and they've had one real big original which was Mandalorian yeah whereas Netflix is rolling out 32 new originals every hour um, but they've been putting out a lot of these smaller shows like be our chef hosted by Angela from the office it's a cooking <laughs> competition between families okay the cute little low-budget thing yeah uh, Justin Long does this show called uh, shop class where it's literally kids who have a shop class project and they're competing against another team that's oh, doing nice. that. So like little things like that. And prop culture sounded to me, when I first heard about it, it sounded to me like another show like that where they're trying to create props in this competition. But if it's a behind the scenes look at famous props from movies, that sounds interesting. Would you be yeah. down for something like that? A hundred percent. I love I love anything behind the scenes. It not only does it educate me as an actor about more of the technical uh, the technical side of things, but I also just think it's really fun to pull back the curtain and you know see how you know see how the sausage is made in the video that Zoe Bell did. I'm sure everyone has seen this oh, video it's by so now. Good. The fight video. The fight video. Um, yeah, I love the part where Margot Robbie pans her camera down and she's looking at all the various props that she's used in different movies especially Suicide Squad and then she eventually picks up the bat and uses it it's like it's just a great little nod and I think anyone who's a film lover um, always loves to find out like what are the what are the behind the scenes stories of this I mean just like the ping pong balls on the floating on the water today it's always fascinating when we go oh that's why they did that and you know why was this prop chosen over that prop what was going to be you know the other the other thing you know i mean like when you think about something like american american beauty can you possibly think about american beauty without thinking about the rose in um mina suvari's right like like what if it was something else like how do they choose the rose you know i'm, I'm really fascinated by stuff like that so i will watch that my favorite my favorite movie prop experience if you can call that a real thing was it was the the time I went, I actually got to go to Skywalker Ranch mm -hmm. one time. Oh, wow. Like, and actually walk onto Skywalker Ranch. It was incredible. And cool. they took me into the main cottage, they call it. Because it's all like, it's like a ranch. It's like cottages houses. It's not these modern looking buildings, even though it houses all this technology. But so you walk in and it's beautiful and it's gorgeous. And in the foyer of this one building, of this one, you know, style cottage, there's in the middle of the floor this big glass case with the idol from the opening of Raiders of the Lost Ark. That oh, India's really? Like, and switches oh, the sandbag. Wow. It's it's there. Oh, and that's I'm like, so cool. And I'm like looking at it and the dude who brought me, he's like, look over here. And then you look to your left and there's a glass case on the wall and it's Luke Skywalker's lightsaber from the original Star Wars. I'm like, that's not like, that's a replica, right? It's like, no, that's the one. And I'm like, yeah. oh, and I'm trembling. And he's like, now look in the other wall. And I turn my head and there's another glass case and it's Indy's whip. Like actually, and I'm like, and I'm just standing there and like, I'm shaking. I'm like, I am standing 
in the midst of like movie history and it was like one of the coolest experiences but yeah that sounds like a really interesting um uh, idea anonymous thanks for sharing so that. you're I'm, saying that skywalker ranch is basically like planet hollywood without the milkshakes and fries yes okay with, got it yes only much much cooler yeah. all right james welsh writes one of two Gladiator turned 20 this week. Holy crap. Uh, the Sun wrote a story about the behind-the-scenes madness from Crow's demanding behavior causing Scott to say, uh, causing Scott to say, which caused Scott to say, he thinks he can pull this shit with me. I'll go back to Hollywood and bury him. Uh, two of two. He was throwing the script, moaning about his costume and acting like he was in charge with Scott wanting to wring his neck. You wonder how this movie ended up being one uh, of the of the all-time greats and Crow and Scott forged a uh, cohesive working relationship. Well, here's the funny thing cohesive? about that. Co maybe that? it meant cohesive. Cohesive? Anyway, probably meant cohesive. Yeah, because remember, it couldn't have been that bad because they went on to make more movies together. If I'm not mistaken, I think they made two more films together after that. I think they did one which he did with Meg. I think is the one he did with Meg Ryan. I, um, I could no no wait was it different? But anyway, I will they, look it up. Then they then they made that awful Robin Hood movie together as well. So I it probably wasn't all that bad. Like there might have been some harsh moments, but clearly they liked working with each other enough. And by the way, what are we always saying on the show? Winning cures everything. Maybe they didn't hate <laughs> each other's guts. And then they win all the Academy Awards. It's like, you know what? That wasn't so bad. Winning cures everything. So it's I love hearing behind the scenes stuff like that. And yeah, I've heard, listen, Russell Crowe's my favorite actor, but I've heard he's a bit of a dick. Now, when I met him, he was fantastic. He was he was great. But I mean, I don't work with him on a week in, week out basis, so I don't know. But I've heard some things, but he's still my favorite actor. All right. Superman Steve writes, uh, hey, John, I just need to know that I 100% agree with what you've been saying about Robert Pattinson. I absolutely love watching you go off so passionately about situations like that. Well, thank you. See, you know what the funny thing is? I mentioned this on the uh, companion video yesterday. It has been and this is what a good topic should do. This is what a good topic should do. It has been ages since one of the episodes, like a full episode of the John Campus show. I can't remember the last time a full episode of the John Campus show got that many likes. And at the same time, I can't remember the last time an episode of the John Campus show got that many dislikes. Uh, all at the same time, people were clearly very passionate about the issue. Because I looked at it, it's like, holy crap, that is way more likes than I've had on videos in forever. And way more dislikes, which means people were really engaged. And so it was clearly a really, uh, it was a hot button topic that clearly touched a lot of people, like got a lot of reactions from a lot of people, positively and negatively. And that's what a good topic should do. What uh, day was this show for people who might have missed it? Yesterday. It was, it was yesterday's yesterday's show. show. Yeah. Okay. Um, that was James. All right. Tiberius writes. John and gang for May 4th gave Rise of Skywalker another watch and sadly still felt like a Star Wars child watching two of its parents, Johnson and Abrams, fight it out on screen. The sequel trilogy stands as a disappointing marker in my movie going life. Yeah, like it's funny because I I don't like I love the rise of uh, the, the Force Awakens. I love the Force Awakens. Uh, I like the 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 um, uh, the last Jedi. I like the last Jedi. I mean, I you guys know from the day that I saw the premiere, I had problems with the whole Canto Bite stuff. I didn't like what they did with uh, uh, Benicio del Toro's character. I didn't like what they did with uh, Finn. I didn't like. There's a lot of things to not like, but I also liked a lot of stuff. So I like that movie. And the funny thing is, I never felt for a second that The Rise of Skywalker contradicted anything from The Force Awakens. If anything, I felt like The Rise of Skywalker was a true continuation of The Force Awakens with a different flavor. 
But Rise of Skywalker, that was J.J. Abrams contradicting J.J. Abrams. That was J.J. Abrams retconning J.J. Abrams. I mean, it's a very, very odd thing. It was very, very odd. And I remember walking out of the, the premiere because I was lucky enough to be at the premiere and it was a great party. But I walked out of the premiere and I remember I, I put up a quick video on YouTube and, and I said, this is the first time I've walked out of a Disney Stars from where I was truly, utterly disappointed. And there's some good stuff in there. There is some good stuff in there. But yeah, to me, Tiberius, I got to say, it wasn't like looking at Johnson v. Abrams. To me, it was more Abrams v. Abrams. Uh, that was the funny thing about it. It felt like Abrams versus Abrams to me. But anyway, maybe I'll cover more of that when I get into my postmortem on the movie. All right, Tiberius writes, um, John and gang, if you had... If you had a chance to wield creative control and redo either of the prequel trilogy or the sequel trilogy, ooh, which would you choose? Sequel trilogy for me, uh, for the many missed opportunities and blank canvas possibilities stories it provides. I'll tell you what, if I had the chance to either redo the prequels or redo the sequels, even though I like the sequels more than the prequels, I would redo the, the, the sequels. I would redo those because the prequels are irrelevant. What I mean by that is they're irrelevant moving forward. They happen in the past. You know, they happen prior to the events of Star Wars, Empire, and Return of the Jedi. So I have my feelings on the prequels, but they are before those events, so they don't really affect anything moving forward. However, the new films do set the pace of where we go from here. And so that's why, even though I love The Force Awakens, and I like The Last Jedi, the Rise of Skywalker left such a, a disappointing taste in my mouth that I feel like I would redo the sequels just to set the stage for a more bright future for where Star Wars could go moving forward. Whereas the prequels, they're isolated in time. So even though I don't like the prequels, I would leave them alone and I would redo the new ones. At least that would be my philosophy. Maybe that's a terrible philosophy. All right, Ryan Loner writes, my new theory is the new Mutants movie doesn't exist. <laughs> they made a fake trailer for a psychological experiment. Totally. Oh, I'm oh, into that. <laughs> oh my, that's funny. That's funny. It's all just been one big troll. First Fox and then Disney. One big giant troll. I love it. All right. Uh, next up, Mr. T.J. Lynn writes, uh, I don't have any stand on the Robert uh, Pattinson or the Arbats issue, but it is wildly entertaining to see you ranting like that. Um, it is like your brand. I rewatched your rant video on Affleck uh, leaving the director's chair. Uh, Roman Polanski, theaters without pre-assigned seatings, LOL. Yeah, I still love that theaters without pre-assigned seatings one. And it, uh, hey, we live in a world now where almost all of our theaters do have pre-assigned seating, which is great. And don't ever get me going on Roman. Polanski. All right. Dan Ketchum writes, I know you hate X actor and X role questions. And yet I feel like you're about to ask me an X actor and X role <laughs> question. But I was thinking that Tom Ellis might make a very good Wolverine for Marvel. He already got himself ripped for Lucifer and he has the, uh, that angry stare down Pat. He's even about the same height as Jackman. Well, here's the thing though. A lot of the, one of the things that people didn't like about Hugh Jackman as Wolverine when he was first cast was the fact that he was so tall. There are a lot of people who want a shorter Wolverine. Um, and, and I get this. So I don't know if that works in his favor. Listen, I love Tom Ellis. I, he is my favorite character. I'm not saying he's my favorite actor, but I'm saying he portrays my favorite character on television right now in Lucifer Morningstar. I don't see him as Wolverine. I got to say, I, I, I don't see, but you know me, I'm all about good actor. If you're talking about what actors play a role, as long as they're a good actor. That's usually the only thing that's important to me. So if tomorrow they announced that Tom Ellis was going to play Wolverine, I'd be like, 
okay, I think he's a good actor, so I'm okay with it. But it wouldn't be it wouldn't be on the top of my list, Dan. I got to admit, it would not be on the top of my list. You know, speaking of Tom Ellis, I was asking Tom, my husband, Tom, yesterday if he had ever filmed a water scene. And he did a pilot with Tom Ellis uh, called Gothica, where Tom Ellis was playing Frankenstein, Dr. I did, Frankenstein. I didn't realize he was in Gothica, too. And um, wait, did Gothica, the, it's no, a pilot no, I, that didn't... I'm, I'm familiar with it because just because of Tom's resume, just because oh, of Tom, right, like, right, right. your husband Tom's. Yes. I, I didn't realize Tom Ellis was a part of that, too. He was. He played Dr. Frankenstein, and my husband Tom played Frankenstein's monster. So when I asked me if he'd ever done a water scene, he was saying that like at the end of the episode where Frankenstein's monster is supposed to, where, is supposed to be this character uh, who was actually alive gets killed, all of a sudden we see him in the tank, his face like bounces off the glass in that kind of like floating in formaldehyde thing and it was like oh was it so awful and he was like no it's water what's the big deal and that's <laughs> when i realized that i'm just a wuss and tom is clearly a more professional actor than i am <laughs> um okay next up ben rayner writes hey john well i flexed the wrong muscle one of my favorite scenes in television ever uh i flexed the wrong muscle when i heard about doom patrol season two i can't wait for uh june 25th my favorite dc show as of right now i just hope they all have uh they have all the episodes done how about you excited dude i am so pumped for doom patrol now i'm gonna go out on a limb aaron and guess that you haven't seen doom patrol yet i have not it is so bonkers this is on it, well, no, it, it, it was made for the DC Universe streaming okay. service. Uh, oh, the, uh, yeah, I don't have that. But now it's going to be on, I believe they're going to put it on HBO Max. Oh, okay. Um, Can they put Harley Quinn on that too? They, because... they just put Harley Quinn on sci-fi. They, they just launched season one. Do of I have to subscribe to that? Uh, I, you know what? I can't remember. You know, listen, I'm not subscribing to anything it's, else. It's like I'm 22 done. minute episodes. You and Tom just come down. We'll sit down, have some dinner, and we'll make we'll social watch distancing, Quinn. John. Social distancing. Yeah, I know social if distancing. If you can put me in a bubble and saran wrap me, then I'm okay. But I mean, you're here. Like, we allow <gasps> right, one person to Right, but we're like house. six, you know. Okay, yes, we are. We are, yes. We, and I don't touch true. anything when I'm here. But soon. <laughs> soon. soon. Very you soon. And Tom That's what we will do. come over and we will sit down and watch Harley Quinn and we'll watch it all straight because it's like 22 minute episodes i'll bring my own hand sanitizer oh my god i'm gonna wear so, masks the whole it's time it's so good but, but doom patrol is bonkers and it has one of my favorite scenes in television history that ben refers to as flex the wrong muscle okay i great it is one of the greatest scenes in television history it's simply one of the greatest scenes in television history better than john raffio better than john raffio and that's that's, that's saying a lot that's it, because I love me Ben Schwartz. But oh, yeah. yeah. Um, okay, let's see here. Oh, it looks like, hold on a second, let me fix something on your camera here. I got to go over here. And oh. Because, again, your camera was going out. Did I break the camera you again? The camera. the camera is overheating, unfortunately. I'm so hot that the camera you know, got... I'm going to leave the camera off for like two minutes just to let it cool down. Because okay. I got it because my main camera overheats sometimes. So now is the time that I can pick my nose. Now you can do everything. Scratch your ass. Do whatever you want to do. Okay. But I on my main camera will start because it gets warm in here. It gets warm in here. It does. Um, my main camera, I actually rigged up, for those of you who saw my making a video, I put a, I rigged up a fan to blow on uh, like a, its own heat sink on the camera there. So there's that. So Aaron's actually, she's actually going to go to the back room to scratch her ass. I thought I was being, I thought I was being like facetious, but if, there she goes. All right. Uh, next up, um, Jared's Reviews writes, one of six. Hey, John, during this time, I started looking back on what uh, we're, 
what we're probably were what were the moments that made me fall in love with movies growing up my parents couldn't afford to take us to the movies so my earliest memory was i was 10 and i saw transformers on the big screen and thought holy shit am i actually in space but it wasn't then no when i was in 10th grade in 2014 and my dad was watching TV and I walked asking, what movie is this? Who's that guy? Who is that guy? That movie was Tropic Thunder and the person was Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> I recognized his face, but I didn't know his name. I downloaded IMDb and became fascinated uh, that he worked with so many people that I recognized, but I didn't know their name. I became determined to know every big actor's name. Then when I finally got a job um, and started to make money, I was finally able to do what I wanted to that year and watched movies in the theater and got a ticket to see Captain America Winter Soldier. When that movie was over, I said to myself, so this is what I've been missing um, all these years. Now I get to go back and see what I've missed. And if there are, is even a chance that a movie in the future could be this good, then there is no way I can miss watching that on the big screen. That was the day where I became a movie fan and tried to become as knowledgeable as I could about movies. Sorry for the long message. Uh, thought it would be cool to hear from other people in the chat as well about when was the moment they fell in love with movies and people's earliest memory. Well, thank you for sharing That's that, man. So I appreciate it. And let me tell you why. I'm going to try to turn on your camera again here. Um, let's see if we can get the camera rock, rocking and rolling again. So here's where, where this is interesting to me. See, I love what you were just talking about. And the reason I love what you were just talking about is because there was uh, Kobe Bryant. Uh, made one an Academy Award for uh, a little thing he did called Dear Basketball. And I was lucky enough to be at the Hollywood Bowl when John Williams was doing his John Williams Maestro of the Movies concert. And he brought out Kobe Bryant because John Williams composed the music to Dear Basketball. And they did a live performance of it. They played the video with Kobe narrating on, on stage, actually reading it live, and John Williams conducting the orchestra to it. And it's a beautiful thing. And the other day I was thinking about the magic of movies and what movies mean to me. And I actually started writing out, kind of as an homage to Dear Basketball, I actually personally started writing out this document that just called Dear Movies. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I personally started kind of as just a little self-exercise. I started writing my own love letter to the movies. Um, and so, uh, you know, Jared, you sharing that I, I think is incredibly profound. I mean, what movies mean to us is just so crazy and, and how they move us and shape us. They, they talk about who we are as a people. They talk about what we dream, who we want to be, what our fears are, what our inhibitions are, what our potential is. I mean, the movies speak to all that. Anyway, Aaron, let me ask you, what would you say is the moment? that you fell in love with movies. And I don't know if it's the same, would be the same moment that you determined you wanted to be an actress, but what, what would, if you had to look back, what would you say might be one of the most defining moments for you? Because for me, it's my earliest childhood memory, my mom taking me to see Star Wars. Mm -hmm. That was it. I, I've been a movie fanatic ever since I was a early, my earliest childhood memory. That was it. What was it for you? For me, um, it, it was, and I, it wasn't necessarily a specific moment as much as it was a period of time it was when i discovered um tnt 
the television yep. station TNT because they played all the old movies and I lived in like I grew up in a, a town called Huntsville Texas but I wasn't even in Huntsville I was like half an hour outside of Huntsville it was long distance for me to call my friends that's how far away I was <laughs> and I was incredibly isolated and incredibly lonely and um, you know and also got bullied quite a bit so I just had a really you know a challenging upbringing uh, or tra challenging childhood and and I remember watching these movies on TNT of like Mame and um, you know How to Marry a Millionaire and, and all these old movies from uh, Preston Surge's films from the 30s and Marilyn Monroe films and Rosalind Russell and all these incredible actresses that were they were tall and they were confident and they were beautiful and they were sassy and they were smart and I just saw this other world that seemed so glamorous and it was so unlike everything that I was seeing growing up near a prison town and <laughs> you know no offense to Huntsville Texas but it's kind of dreary sometimes and uh and, and and I was just like I don't know what that is but I want to be a part of that world like I mm. want to play make-believe I want to be able to wear those shoes I want to be able to float across the floor and dance and uh, yeah it was it was that period of time where movies became my escape and then I found Rocky Horror Picture Show and it really became my escape. <laughs> okay, uh, let's move on here. Uh, next up, uh, Murray Reich writes, being a vampire's familiar is like being a best friend who is also a slave. Guillermo. I... Dude, listen, guys, everybody. I, a bunch of people have been writing quotes about it. Seriously. If you Number one, if you haven't watched Taika Waititi's genius movie, What We Do in the Shadows, do go and watch that. But then you got to start watching the show. I thought the show was a bad idea. I thought, oh, come on, you're just taking advantage of that, even though Taika Waititi was behind it. I'm like, come on, the show is so good. And Guillermo's one of my favorite characters. Uh, Murray Reich writes, um, you can't go, this one's from the movie, you can't go to the ball as Blade. He's a vampire hunter. Yeah, but vampires love Wesley Snipes. So in the movie, <laughs> there's a scene in the movie where Taika Waititi and his other vampire friends are getting ready to go to this big annual um, uh, ball for the undead. And he, he dressed up in costume as Blade. And the other rep is, you can't go dressed as Blade. It's offensive. Um, which, was, <laughs> which was great. Uh, an anonymous viewer writes, best TV show opening credit scenes that are iconic. Simpsons, All in the Family. Oh, All in the Family was a good one. Uh, Law and Order. Of course, everybody knows that sound, right? Bum, bum. Like, there, there it is. Uh, Law and Order, Brady Bunch, Mary Tyler Moore, uh, The Jeffersons, Beverly Hillbillies, X-Files, Any I Missed, what are your favorites? My Cheers. Cheers is such an iconic one. Making your way in the world, world today, today takes everything you got. I mean, it's just so good, right? Mm -hmm. it, it just like it would, it would just let you knew it was there. My favorite, though, is not to my favorite show, Aaron. It's mm -hmm. not to my favorite show. I, although I did like the show, I was very hooked on it when I was younger. But um, Airwolf. With Jan oh. Michael Vincent. It's to me, to this day, it's still like my favorite. That Knight Rider was very iconic, too. The opening music's Knight One Rider. Day at a Time is so... One, one Day, day at, a at a Time. One, you know, I had this CD. I had a CD that was um, television hits from the 70s and oh, 80s. And I'm telling you, it's it was one of my favorite CDs that I played 
all the time because it just had the greatest. And um, and now Game of Thrones. I mean, oh yeah, on. the opening theme, for the opening Thrones, song so. of Game of Thrones, and the same thing, opening song of Westworld, which same composer who I said his name wrong, and everybody like lost their. Who <laughs> was like laughing hysterically at me online? I I called him like. Ramen Jumanji, which is totally a bastardization, but I see. I, I if anyone can just advise me, I would love to be able to not look like an asshat. Sure it is. I just thought the name sounds fair. Um, what about like the if one, Seinfeld that bass slap? Oh yeah. I mean, it's just Sex in the City, like yeah, and that's why I really love an opening theme song. I like the way I I, I think it just sets the tone. Right. Yeah. No, there's some really great ones. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next up, um, Minnesota hockey fan writes, Dino Cicerelli, ladies and gentlemen, Dino Cicerelli. All right. Minnesota hockey fan writes, I hope you are doing well. In film history, there have been films that have been lost. One of those films is Firelight 1964. Steven Spielberg directed this, this movie when he was 17. Only three minutes have survived, but I would love to see the whole movie. I, I'm not even, listen, I think Steven Spielberg is the greatest filmmaker of all time. I'm not even familiar with that. I will have to go back and see if I can look in to see what that one's all about. Yeah, it's, it is crazy uh, when you look back and stuff like that. But that is one, Minnesota Hockey fan, thank you so much for putting that on my radar because I'm a huge Steven Spielberg fan. I'm not even familiar with this. And now you've given me something to go and look up. So thank you. You just made my day. I appreciate that, Minnesota Hockey fan. All right. Um, Try Bet Q7 writes. Um, let's say awesome guest star on this week's What We Do in the Shadows. I haven't seen the newest episode yet. So shh, I haven't seen the newest episode yet of What We Do in the Shadows. Great episode and a really good season so far. I am loving this season. I, you know, I was late to the party for What We Do in the Shadows. So I kind of binged it the first season as the second season was just starting. And after I finished binging the first season, I'm like, well, the second season won't be as good. But the second season has been every bit as good, man. It's been every bit as good. All right. Uh, let's see. Russell Amador writes, hey, John, uh, did you tune into last night's UFC card? If so, what did you think of Glover Teixeira's performance? Not going to lie. I was surprised he took it to Anthony the way they did it. Jeez, that was a great card. It was a free one on ESPN the uh, or on ESPN+. Plus. I, I, I tell you what. When Anthony Lionheart Smith came out of the gate, because that first round, he won the first round, and he came out sharp and aggressive. But I remember, how good is his cardio? Because he can't keep that up. And when you look at Glover, like even though he was getting hit, he was rolling with all the punches. He was partially blocking almost all of them. He really wasn't taking any damage. And then he started finding his range. And the old man put a beating on that kid. Like a, He looked sharp. I don't think he's ever looked better. I don't think he's ever looked better. So I was really, really impressed by that. Um, let's see here. Uh, Rafi's, uh, Ralphie's World. Hello, John. Over under 40% uh, that if New Mutants doesn't make it to its new date, um, Disney will just say fuck it and release it on stream. I mean, enough is enough, right? Well, I mean, that's what we were just talking about, Aaron, right? We were mm -hmm. talking about what happens um, if they don't make this date. Like, do you just move on from it? Do you just... Do you try doing another one? I mean, honestly, when you look at how many years it's been, if you're a Disney exec and for whatever reason, the April 28th date becomes unfeasible. August. Whether August, sorry, what did I say? April? That's okay. August 28th. It becomes unfeasible, whether it's because the theaters are still closed or whether it's because, I don't know, some other reason in the world. Do you stay the course and say, then let's just find another date for it? Or do you say, 
enough. Well, enough. Like I, let's like, just put it on streaming. What do you do? Like I said before, I mean, first of all, I think it's really optimistic and I, for them to even say April to begin with, I wouldn't have said April. I would have just gone ahead and pushed it to 2021 as so many other movies have done. Um, but for them to um, for them to push it and have it open a have an opening date a fifth time like i said they clearly see something in this movie that they want the rest of us to see in a theater and they now have a really good excuse it's not like they can say oh well we had to make some changes and the movie's not really ready there's a global pandemic going on there's a pandemic happening so that's a perfect excuse just to push it one more time if you're gonna if they've pushed it this many times they want it in theaters i say just Call it and push it to February 2021. That's what I would do right now. All right, uh, let's move on here. Uh, David Crabtree writes, uh, here's my favorite military films, Behind Enemy Lines, Crimson Tide, Rules of Engagement, uh, Sands of Iwo Jima, I love that one, Hacksaw Ridge, I love Hacksaw Ridge, uh, American Sniper, Tears of the Sun, Few Good Men, Men of Honor, Top Gun, Heartbreak Ridge, Saving Private Ryan, The Patriot, and 13 Hours. I... I don't think you can call. Well, no, no, no. You're right. You're right. You said military films, not war films. I say I don't think I don't think you can call a few good men a war film. But no, you're right. It is a military film. Um, then it depends on if you what branch of the military. Because <laughs> like, if you want to go navy, like, what's the Jason Siegel one? Um, the one on the boat. Uh, why am I forgetting the name of the Jason? Jason. Uh, um. Jason Siegel. Did, I said Jason Siegel, didn't I? I meant um, Jason Steven Seagal. Oh, st- <laughs> Why, I said Jay, you know that Jason Siegel, that Jason Siegel military movie that we all know and love, right? I was like, what? I don't remember him doing Sorry, anything like that. Steven Seagal. Wow. Um, Steven Seagal. How did I go from Jason? I have Jason, no idea. Jason Siegel, okay, last name, similar last names. Okay. Um, there's that one. I can't. I can't believe I'm the Gary Busey's in it. And 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 uh, why am I forgetting the name of the movie? Anyway, so there's that one. There's the Gene Hackman uh, Denzel Washington submarine film, which really then you then go all the way back. I mean, not just American military. Das Boot. If you want to go into different branches, and then you got to if you want to talk about the Air Force, and you got to talk about Top Gun, an um, officer and a gentleman. Oh, you know, we were just talking about officer and a gentleman the other day because somebody brought up um, Richard Gere and. One the I would ju- I just said his name. He was just in um, Steven Seagal. <laughs> no, Jason Segel, um, Louis Gossett Jr. Okay, uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Who won the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor in Officer and a Gentleman. That is that is seriously. That's a great movie. Yeah, and Simpsons actually did a nice little parody of when uh, uh, Marge shows Homer, up. That's right. And Homer like picks her up and carries her out. Mm-hmm. I that, love that moment. That. And speaking about great music to, to sayings, love lifts us up where we belong as that scene plays. <laughs> love lifts us up where we That yeah. is seriously one of the great movies that nobody ever talks about. Uh, but it was really influential at the time. Mm-hmm. And people really, really dug it. Um, so, yeah. So, I, it all depends on which uh, uh, which um, like branch of the military time. But I, lo- I like all your picks there, David. I like all your picks, my friend. All right. Next up. Uh, Star Wars rocks one of two. Hi, John. With the Rebel sequel, "Searching for Ezra," show being worked on, do you at uh, do on do you at Lucasfilm as you've watched the last four episodes of the Clone Wars? Are you a supporter of the fact that they are using that animation style, or would you rather they use, uh, or would you rather they use the Rebels animation style? I 
Listen, I'll be honest. I'm not a huge fan of either animation style, even though I, I, I like Rebels. I'm not a huge fan of the animation style for either. But, you know, you start watching the show, whether it's Clone Wars or Rebels, and it just, your brain just tunes to it. You know what I mean? Your brain just tunes into it. And you just see it for what it is. And you don't worry about the animation style anymore. So, like, as I started watching Rebels, at first, I'm like, I'm not a big fan of this style of animation. But after about 10 or 15 minutes, it's like my brain just adjusts to say, okay, yeah, but this is what this is. This is this world. And this is what the animation style looks like. So, honestly, I believe any animated project they move forward with, I think it would be perfectly fine. Um, whether we like them at first or don't, I think our minds adjust to it. Aaron, as you, you know, you've watched some animated films and things like that. As you look back at the animation and stuff... Have you ever found that a particular animation style just kind of took you out of a show or a movie or anything like that? Well, I think it's the same thing as what you just said. Like, I am not someone who's automatically drawn to, say, anime. But within the first five minutes, you're, you're, you're right. You, your brain just goes, okay, this is the world that we're living in, suspension of disbelief. I'm invested in this. Um, so I think that that's also kind of how I feel about a lot of animation. I'm also, I don't love watching animated movies because they always make me cry. And <laughs> like, and it's kind of a fucked up level of crying. It's like, oh my God, this is going to be so cute. What do you mean his wife dies? Oh, what? Like, up, yeah. And I'm running out of the room screaming. Like, So I, 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 uh, I, I tend to be a little cautious. I'm about as cautious with animation animated movies for the crying as I am with horror movies for the fear. But yes, I agree with you. Once you get invested, once they say this is the playing, this is the field that we're playing on, your mind just adjusts. And, you know, it's same thing with uh, watching, watching a movie with subtitles. You know, a lot of people are initially uncomfortable because you're figuring, you know, it's just a different way of watching movies than we're used to. But within the first five minutes, you just get it and it's great. All right, next up. I like that answer. Uh, Lee Mallinson writes, Four Quadrant Entertainment feels diluted to appeal to everyone uh, and films like Robocop, Heat, and LA Confidential don't get made today because 35-year-old men who are influencers gush so hard on what Disney releases. I feel R-rated movies won't get a release in five years. Here's, here's the thing about that, Lee. They were saying the same thing in the 80s. And there were people who said the same thing in the 90s. And there were people who said the same thing in the 2000s. It kind of reminds me of like... Back in like 2006, when people were saying comic book movie fatigue, comic book movie fatigue setting in, people are going to be tired of comic book movies. And then they said the same things in 2010, and they said the same things in 2014, and they said the same thing in 2016, and, and yet here we are. These movies still get made. Four quadrant, and by the way, four, there are some amazing four quadrant movies. To call them diluted, I think is disingenuous. You can make a four quadrant movie and make it deep and heartfelt and joyous and entertaining and all that sorts of stuff. Absolutely you can. There are certain films, there are certain types of stories that you would have to dilute if you wanted those ones to also be four quadrant movies. But listen, even when you look at things today like Deadpool and, and the, the new Watchmen and whatever, Clearly, clearly, they still recognize that like R-rated material that is not four-quadrant based can be very profitable and be very good. So I got to disagree with you on both fronts, brother. I, I, I think I do not see an end anytime soon. If not, there's a growing interest in making R-rated material and I'm, as well as really good four-quadrant stuff. I don't know, Aaron, like you see that you've been in the industry. What do you think about that? 
Uh, well, sorry to expose my ignorance on this. I'm not familiar with the term four quadrant. Four I don't know quadrant what that means. is basically, so you take um, a four quadrant is like this demographic, this demographic, this demographic, this demographic. Basically, it's another way of saying this is something that kind of appeals to everybody. Oh, you know, okay. That's the, the kind of think of it in those terms. This is something that will appeal to to everyone in, oh. in many senses. Okay. So I I don't think we're always going to have those movies. We're also going to always have niche movies. You know, there are there are always going to be films that that studios want to put out that will appeal to the masses. Oh, this is. I mean, think about Christmas movies, Thanksgiving movies. They're usually movies that people have done all. They've done all the stats and they've checked all the numbers and they're like, this is a movie that should appeal to the majority of people of the movie going public. We're always going to have those. Um, and you know, the what is acceptable and what is uh what what is um okay to put in those movies we may call it diluted but we also have to remember that our society is an ever evolving um process you know we are we as a society determine what is acceptable as we move forward and the things that we saw in films in the 60s some of those things are not acceptable these days for a wide audience and that will continue to happen but i don't necessarily think that's diluting i think that's just becoming a little bit more socially conscious yeah um in storytelling i listen i just noticed we've gone over time for <gasps> for you aaron i know what? you got things you got to do you enjoy bishop yes i'm going to get to a covid test oh not because I, I don't have any symptoms i don't think that i'm sick but because things are starting to open up and because um my doctor informed me that tests are now more widely available at least in los angeles um i was like you know what now is a great time for me to just go ahead because who knows? Uh, there's a lot of people that are running around who are asymptomatic and I don't want to be one of them. Right. So uh, if you don't see me on the show next week, it is because I am quarantining myself and I'm hoping uh, that I will not be. But I also wanted to see what the test is all about. So if you check me out on Instagram, which I think I was Robert Meyer Burnett earlier. Okay, I'm back to Aaron L. Cummings. Um, if you check out my Instagram at Aaron L. Cummings, I will be live streaming my COVID test experience. So if you're wondering how bad that swab is going to be i have a feeling it's not gonna be that bad uh, i'll let you know in person so check it out i that'll be around 11 45 pacific standard time and your, your camera over here oh no sorry about that camera over here to get but listen aaron uh at least you were able to get your your thing in there yes goodbye to you and joey bishop goodbye and we, we will, will talk to you and tom later and yes we'll, we will. we'll see you soon all right thanks for that again all right guys listen we still have some time here so let's keep right on flying through all your live questions and thanks again to aaron for being here all right, I'm going to get a fan hooked up to that camera as well, or, or, get, or I just got to keep the air conditioning on in here. Or so maybe the, I'll just stop being so goddamn hot. Or maybe you'll just stop being so hot, Aaron, heating up the room. All right, next up, uh, Alpha O writes, well, one's favorite has to be what they also think is the best movie. Otherwise, it'd be admitting objectiveness to movies. No, I don't. I don't agree with that. Uh, it gives you a mental break, and you forget everything bad and negative. Oh, sorry, I said there was a there was a skip. There was a skip. Sorry about that. Um, where was it again? Alpha. Oh, right. Uh, one one's favorite movie has to be what they also think is the best movie. Otherwise, it'd be admitting objectiveness to movies. Uh, if they are truly subjective, like you suggest, and I agree, then saying I prefer this movie, but the other one is better makes no sense. No, I, I don't know that I agree, Alpha, that it makes no sense because, it, again, the movies, movies as art, art. It's just so subjective, right? You again, same metaphor. Ten people stand around a painting and they all see ten different things. So ten different things stand out to them, or or it hits them in different ways. That's what movies are as well. 
And so you can be a person like, I really enjoy this one. But for some reason, I have an appreciation for that one a little bit more. I, it goes, it's a weird thing and it's hard to quantify. That's the big thing. You can't really quantify it. And that's what makes art so subjective. There's no quantifying it. So, you know, I've been kind of struggling with that myself. I've been going back and forth on like, is the movie you like the most truly the movie you think is the best? Or can you think one is one you like the most and a different one you think is the best? When after all, at the end of the day, what are movies but experiential events? And if one gives you the best experience, whether it's an experience of thought or fear or laughter or excitement or chills or whatever, if that movie gives you the best experience, is that not then for you the best movie? And I don't know. I don't know. I, I'm going back and forth on it myself. It's one we will be struggling with for the ages, Alpha. All right, next up, uh, J James Dean, the deceased actor, James Dean, who they've been saying is going to be, remember, they're still talking about using a CGI James Dean to be a star of a movie. I don't know. Uh, anyway, hi, John. Sorry I'm late watching your show, but I was busy working and getting ready for a new role. I can't say what it is, but once, uh, but I think once you and your fans find out, it will be fantastic. Okay, James Dean. Uh, anyway, love your show and your crew are awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm not looking forward to seeing CGI James Dean, just to be clear, but I do appreciate the well wishes. All right. Uh, Corpipa Cor writes, one of three. Uh, I do agree with Rob from a certain point of view, uh, but we are talking about Batman. Batman became the human embodiment at of peak of humanity. Uh, John is right. When you agree to play this iconic character, certain things are expected for you to do. Uh, Rob says it's very hard to work out and take away your intellectual time. I don't... No, 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 no. To be fair to Rob, to be fair to Rob, I don't really think that's what he was saying. I think Rob was just putting more emphasis on one thing than the other. I don't think Rob was necessarily saying that you can't possibly work out and study you can't do i i don't let, let's be fair to rob i in rob's defense i don't think that's what he was saying personally anyway uh no it's actually the opposite it gives you a mental break and you forget everything bad and negative in the same way when you go to the movies isolated from the rest of the world um it only takes 45 to 60 minutes per workout and three to four times a week look what camille nagiani did uh his own free will he wanted to be more healthy and wanted to transform himself for his role in eternals academy award nominated writer i rest my case no no i i, I get it i agree but again i in and I and I appreciate that I do I appreciate that but again in Rob's defense um I don't think he was saying you can't possibly do both Rob knows you can do both so just in his defense but also in defense of here's the thing a lot of people will write to me and I mentioned this on um I mentioned this on the uh, the uh companion video yesterday but I'll, I'll mention it again here what's really interesting to me is that for those people who want to try to explain what Robert Pattinson said, they use, they fall into two main groups. And the funny thing is they're two completely contradictory groups, right? One group of people try to explain that Robert Pattinson was right to say that he shouldn't work out so much. You, you shouldn't. He's right that if you work out too much, you're part of the problem. And, and so there are some people who try to explain what Robert uh, Pattinson said by saying that what he said was proper. But then there's another group of people who try to explain what Robert Pattinson said that are in complete contradiction to what the other people said, because what they say is Robert Pattinson was joking. He was kidding. He didn't mean it, which I guess in a way is admitting that what he said was stupid, but it's saying he didn't really mean it. It was joking. And personally, I think there are arguments to be made for both of those positions. I don't believe 
that Robert Pattinson was right to say it, but I think you can make a case and make an argument about why maybe what he said was accurate and true. I don't agree, but I think there's a case to be made for that. I also don't believe there's any evidence to suggest that Robert Pattinson was joking. And, and to the point, the person who was interviewing him, who was there in the room with him and was with him for hours and hours and hours, didn't think he was joking either. But I do think there is an argument to be made for that. Um, and listen, if if it turns out, if Robert Pattinson gets on Twitter, say, guys, the comments I made the other day, I was completely kidding. I'm working out. I will be the first person to go. Whew, because you guys know I'm a big Robert Pattinson fan, right? Like I, I am, I have been the biggest cheerleader for Robert Pattinson as Batman. I've been defending it from day one. And so if he comes out and says he was just joking, I'm going to be the first one to go, oh, thank God. Thank you. Thank you for clearing that up. Now I can just feel good about everything again. But I, I just find it interesting that it's two contradictory defenses. But uh, Corpipa, I'm mispronouncing that name. Again, keep in mind that there are a bunch of people that's saying that Robert Pattinson was just kidding. And if he's just kidding, then great. It doesn't look like he was kidding. The person who was in the room with him actually there did not think he was kidding, but maybe he was. And if he was awesome, if he was awesome, just, just keep in mind, there is that possibility. And, you know, I'm trying to keep that in mind as well, that there is that possibility that he was only kidding. But again, if he was only kidding, that proves the fact that what he said was pretty stupid. But he was just joking. So if he was joking, great. Um, okay, next up. Um, let's see. James knows what's up. Not not to drive a wedge in the friendship, but Aaron, how often do you watch the John Campus show? She watches it a couple times a week. She was she was she watches it a couple times a week. She just apologized to me like a couple weeks ago. I missed an episode the other day. It's like you don't have to. Watch. My wife doesn't watch every episode, so don't worry about it. Uh, how often do you watch the John Campus show? Being home more, maybe when you're just doing chores or making a mass. Just curious. I know she's online more. Um, you know, being at home, she's trying to stay busy at home, but also her and her husband, Tom have been also getting involved. They've been doing like volunteer delivery stuff, like for people who are truly, um, especially people who are more vulnerable and more at risk, who are really sealed in at home. So Aaron, I really should bring this up because I should highlight this more. Aaron and her husband, Tom have both been doing volunteer work of delivering things to people. There's an organization that you can get involved with of actually delivering things to people who are more vulnerable and are more shut in during this time. And uh, she is, so that is awesome. I think when people take, use their time and there's nothing more valuable than time, when people use their time to try to help others, uh, that's amazing. And I really should have brought that up while she was here because I, I want to highlight that. I, I think that deserves to be honored. But anyways, that's that's so between making masks for people and uh, delivering things from people, she's got her pets and her husband. So she's keeping busy. She's keeping busy. All right. Diamond Dogs Puppy writes. Hey, John, overlooked film of the day. 1992's Radio Flyer. That's a sweet film, actually. I mean, on an emotional level, it's 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 a really strong film. Deep cast of Elijah Wood, Lorraine uh, Bracco, and cameo by Tom Hanks. I don't remember that. Oh, wait. I don't remember that. Um, though uh, a tough yet uplifting film about two young brothers looking to stars to the stars to fly out of an uncomfortable living situation. Thoughts? Yeah, I listen. It has been forever since I've seen it. Let, let's be clear. It's been forever since I've seen that because that movie is what? 10, 28, oh, getting close to 30 years old. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been a while since I checked that one out, but I remember enjoying it. It's got to have been at least 20 years since I've seen, but I remember enjoying it. I like it when you guys pull up these older movies that we haven't seen in forever. That's a good one. Nice pick, Diamond Dog. All right. Uh, next up. 
Um, uh, Dimsum 5 I hope Robert Pattinson is joking. If not, I hope he's a producer on the movie. If he's not, then he has he has no say uh, what the producers want their movie. If you want to express your creative juices, maybe make your own movie and stop wasting other people's money. I, again, I it's time to move on from it. I mean, listen, I said my piece on it yesterday. I'm a big Robert Pattinson fan. I'm still looking forward to this movie, but I was very, very disappointed in hearing what his attitude seems to be. But that doesn't take away from the fact he's a tremendous actor, and I'm sure his acting is going to be great in the movie. But then again, some people are making the argument that maybe he was joking. I'd love to hear Robert Pattinson come out and say that he was, but yeah, eh, let's move on to other things. Okay, uh, Brizzle writes, uh, market is showing the usually very accurate Twin Peaks technical indicator indicator of crash on AMC stock. If I had bought into the recent rally, I would have been selling right now before the entire market collapses. This isn't stock advice. I just it's just what I would do. And yeah, listen, that's why when the AMC stock and again, I'm no stock expert either, by the way. When the recent AMC stock spiked because of the rumors came out that Amazon might be looking at buying them and it spiked. That wasn't the time to buy, at least to me, like when the price spikes and goes up, that's not the time to buy. Like my wife, who is much smarter than me, bought AMC stock when it was at like $2 and eight cents. What are they always saying in the movies? Buy low, sell high. So yeah, I, I, I concur with you, 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 with you and your assessment. And I think that's a very smart thing. And, and I agree. Um, so yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think buying it once it spikes is the wrong time to buy. And so I haven't, if it drops down lower, I may buy it again because I anticipate as a non-stock expert, I anticipate that if they get to the point where they're announcing AMC theaters reopening, I think you're going to see the, the stock spike again. But then again, what do I know? I, I mean, I'm no stock expert, but I'm thinking that's the way they may go. All right, next up, uh, Johnny Five writes, uh, regarding Pattinson, everyone wants to talk about the Pattinson thing. Harrison Ford is 77 years old and has been working out for years in anticipation for a fifth indie movie that probably won't even happen. When asked about the project, he said, I'll be ready. I I can't add much more. I think that's a, that's a good observation. Um, I think that's true. And uh, I mean, Harrison Ford's one of the best. And But I still agree, man. I don't think we're going to get another indie movie. I hate being the skeptical one. I hate being the naysayer. But I just, as much as they keep talking about it, Steven Spielberg leaving the project. But Johnny's still a producer. I know, but he never does anything as a producer. Um, I I just believe it's not going to happen. I hope it does. But I'm just, I'm just at the, I got to see it to believe it phase. You know what I mean? I just got to see it to believe it. Ryan Loner writes, sample line from New Mutants. Man, I can't wait for The Last Jedi. Everybody's going to love it. Yeah, when you consider that they show. Aaron really put in perspective because I was talking about the fact that, you know, this is a movie that was supposed to come out nearly, when it does come out, it was supposed to come out nearly two and a half years ago. The trailer dropped over three years ago, but then Aaron put it even more into perspective that they were shooting this film four plus years ago. And then Aaron brought up a really great point saying, I wonder how many cultural references are going to be in the movie now that we're well beyond the time of its cultural significance. It's a, uh, it's, it's a good point. It's a very good point. All right. Joe Mama writes. Hey, John, I love the show and keep up the great work. Thank you so much, Joe. I appreciate that. I know we think Scorsese is crazy for his latest uh, budget, but DreamWorks 2009 Monsters vs. Aliens budget was $175 million. How? Thanks and bring on the filthy good man. That's I didn't know that. 
And that was a movie, by the way, Monsters vs. Aliens was a charming little thing. You know, the woman who becomes a giant woman with all these aliens and monsters and blah, blah, blah. Um, it's a charming little film, but not one of the great animated films, right? Like nobody talks about it anymore today. I never knew that movie cost $175 million. I never knew it cost that much. That being said, it does it does make kind of sense. Because listen, making a full featured CG animated film is very expensive. There are so many people involved and so much technology involved and so much expense. It's expensive. And when you consider back in 2009, it probably would have been even more expensive to do that stuff. It's a little cheaper now, but it probably would have been even more expensive. So while that number shocks me, when I think about it, it still seems high but it's not like it makes no sense at all in the world. You know what I'm saying? It's not like it makes no sense in the world. So, yeah, it's shocking to hear. But I guess when I think about it, I kind of get it. Um, let's see. Calvin uh, Servino writes. Um, uh, Hi, John. I want to I want to compliment uh, on the other guy's message yesterday about the Flash finale. Some of CBS's shows got its finales last week, and they adapted their script for the episode that was shooting uh, to serve as a finale, abrupt but better than nothing. Yeah, and I did file. I did get around to watching the Flash finale. You know, somebody wrote in yesterday what uh, Calvin is referring to. Somebody wrote in yesterday to talk about the the series or the yeah the se season finale, I should say, the season finale of um uh what's it called a flash a flash the series the season finale of flash is what they wrote in about um and he was saying that you know it just felt like i don't like ending it like that on some kind of a massive cliffhanger sort of thing it felt like too much of a tease but they also understand that you know flash's production like a lot of tv shows it got cut off because of the quarantine, right? It got cut off because of the, of the pandemic. And so they were kind of in a position of, what do we do? We can't shoot anything, right? We can't film anything. So what a show like Blacklist did, The Blacklist, which is a show I really enjoy watching. What The Blacklist did, they did something kind of original. They took what they did shoot and then they animated in a and you know in in moving comic book style you know what i'm talking about when i say moving comic book style they animated the rest of it out so they could have their finale now i haven't seen it yet but they were talking about that's what they've done for their finale cuz they had to come up with something i'll say this finally watching that flash thing i can understand where they were coming from uh i can understand where they were coming from on that i i, I get why they why they made the decision they did to end it there. And I think they did as about as good of a job as you could have. I wasn't big on it personally. Um, you know, the, the, uh, without giving too much away, the episode ends with Barry and Iris giving these speeches to each other, which I thought was, uh, this, this, this is just cringy. But that aside, I thought they ended the season as well as they could have, given the circumstances. I don't know how they could have done much better, but given the circumstances, that's what they did. All right, guys, listen, we only got a few minutes more. We're now through all the tip questions that came in. Now let's go over and start taking some questions from the super chat that came in uh, while we got a few minutes left here. Uh, Lakers 231 writes, my birthday is the day before the great Robert Meyer Burnett's. That, so that means your birthday is today. Happy birthday to you, Lakers. I hope you have a great one and a triumphant year ahead of yourself. Um, this is the one day of the year I can get my girlfriend to watch uh, any film of my choice. No questions asked. So I choose Lord of the Rings trilogy as... 
I've never seen it. Wait a minute. You've never seen it or your girl's never seen it. If you've never seen it, well, dude, you don't need to wait for your girlfriend to watch it. You just watch that damn thing anytime you want. First, and, and that has been, right? We've talked about this on the show. That has been one of the benefits, not the benefits, but it's the making lemonade out of lemons situation, right? One of the ways people have been making lemonade out of lemons is the fact that, you know, they've been using this time at home. Hey, don't have a lot of else to do. Great. Got some time to get caught up on some great classic movies. And I have lost count of how many people have been writing and saying, I watched The Godfather for the first time, which is amazing. But just as much as that as people writing and saying, you know what, hearing everybody talk about Lord of the Rings, I finally watched Lord of the Rings and now I get it. So that is one of the ways a lot of people are making lemonades out of line. Listen, by the way, once again, happy birthday to you, sir. I hope you have a great day and I hope you have a great year ahead of yourself, my friend. All right, next up, Orange Hand writes, does film subjectivity apply to visual effects quality? The visual effects artists react guys use objective metrics like physics to judge good and bad. What do you think? Well, I mean, there's different ways of looking at it, right? As somebody who's worked in the visual effects industry, there's different ways of looking at it. For instance, was that a beautiful visual effect? Well, that's a subjective opinion. That's a subjective opinion. However, what can be objective is um, what, you know, you know, what resolution was that done in? Was that character rigged properly? Like, does the animated character move and the bend doesn't come quite in the elbow and the bend comes a little bit higher than it should in the elbow? That's a technical issue. For instance, let's talk about this. Film is subjective, right? But you can look at a picture. What is objective is there is measurement for this. You can look at a, a scene in a movie and say if it was in focus or out of focus. That you can say objectively because you can actually measure the degree of focus that the image has, right? So the movie itself is subjective. That technical aspect of it is objective. But then again, whether the scene was in focus or a little bit out of focus, whether that was good for the scene or bad for the scene because becomes a subjective opinion. But you can objectively say whether the scene was in focus or not. And there are things in visual effects that, as from a technical point of view that you can look at and say, this was done well or this was done technically proper, or this was done technically improperly. The results of it, about whether the mistakes or the accuracies made for a good viewing experience or not is still a subjective thing, but there are technical elements in visual effects and other areas of filmmaking that can be looked at and measured as in an objective way. But as to what does that mean for the overall enjoyment of the film, that still becomes a subjective thing. But anyway, that's a great, it's a great point to bring up, Orange Hand. All right, Sahil writes... Uh, if you had to eat one, would it be ketchup and eggs or Arpat's pasta and sugar patties? Because he talks about the diet he's got. Uh, as for his workout comments, I think he's just being cheeky. He's being a cheeky Brit and I and, and will be staying in shape uh, to maintain continuity. I certainly hope so. Like I said, if he, if it comes out that he was uh, just joking, I, I, I will be the first person to go, whew, whew. Like I'll be going, okay, thank God. Uh, thank God. Uh, that will be uh, great to hear. It will be absolutely great to hear. All right. Uh, but as far as what would I eat? Listen, uh, ketchup on eggs. I can't do it. And it's not even a flavor thing. Like we joke around a lot about how I just get this reaction when I see people putting ketchup on eggs because I literally it, it makes me almost vomit. Even seeing people eat ketchup on eggs, it almost makes me vomit. 
there i don't know there's something about the reaction i have to it i can't explain it um it's this weird quirky thing about me but oh my god the ketchup on eggs just feels like the most disgusting thing in the world and although i know a lot of people love it and that's great but yeah for me it's tough uh hugo s writes fanboys say robert Pattinson was joking but i'm not laughing again here's hoping fingers crossed here's hoping chris hunt writes uh, Michael B. Jordan got more Jack to be a lawyer in Just Mercy than Robert Pattinson is going to be in Batman, probably. Okay, yes, but, but, it's not like Michael B. Jordan ever walks around out of shape, right? If you see Creed, or you see him in uh, Black Panther, or you see him whatever, Michael B. Jordan generally walks around yoked right he generally walks around yoked so in in his defense michael b jordan always walks around looking like that uh, alton 7771 writes when i want when i want up the stairs i met probably meant walked when i walked up the stairs i met a man who was not there he was not there today i wish wish he would go away spider-man 3 is spider-man stay at home just kidding i i'm not listen again it's when people write in really obscure quotes i'll get them but then when they write in these quotes from movies i've seen a million times i often freeze on them so I, i'm not recognizing that one there are, i've seen so many memes and jokes about what they're gonna do with spider-man 3 like i've seen lots of things say spider-man 3 uh like home alone or stay at home given the the uh current um given the uh, current uh, pandemic we're in all, all that kind of stuff but i saw somebody make a fake poster for a spider-man 3 and it, he didn't use the wording stay at home but it might have been spider-man 3 safer at home or something like that and it it was really quite funny if you guys know the meme i'm talking about you've got it do me a favor and email it to me because i'd like to get my hands on that all right last couple of questions today guys and then we got to wrap it up uh next one comes to us from the wakandan forever who writes better movie match thunder lips or bone saw okay so of course thunder lips was from, I believe it's Rocky 3. I think Th Rocky 3 was Thunderlips. And of course, Thunderlips was played by Hulk Hogan. To people who didn't watch wrestling at the time, that was the, a lot of people's in the world's first exposure to Hulk Hogan. And he played Thunderlips, the ultimate man. No, the ultimate male versus the ultimate meatball. For some reason, he kept calling Rocky a meatball. And they had that exhibition fight match. That was great. And then, of course, Randy Macho Man Savage's bone saw in Spider-Man. I will say the better match was the Rocky one. And by the way, how jacked was Randy Macho Man Savage as Bonesaw? How jacked was he in that? That was, oh man, I miss Randy Savage. I miss Randy Macho Man Savage so much. Oh yeah, I miss that so much. All right, final question of the day, guys. Then we got to wrap it up. This one comes to us from the Wakandan Forever who writes, you've seen Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter, but nothing will prepare you for what's next. Next summer, witness Trump the Ewoks there. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to get in it. I'm not getting into anything even remotely, remotely uh, political. Not at all. Not even in the least. Not even one little bit. So I'm going to stay out of that. But anyway, guys, listen, there are still a bunch of Super Chat questions questions that got sent in we run out of time unfortunately but do not worry for all the super chat questions that got sent in i will gather them up and we will address them in a companion video later today much like we did yesterday so all your questions that got sent in are getting answered in a video today keep your eyes open for that one just a little bit later in the day all right guys that will do it for today's installment of the john campius show thank you so much for being here guys i'm aware every day about what an honor it is 
that you would take a part of your day and spend it here with us uh, in the film fan community. So thank you very, very much for that. Of course, thanks to Aaron Cummings for being here. A special thank you to all you guys who sent in the questions, not just because you gave us great fun things to talk about, but also because you supported the channel while you, we were doing it. And all of us here on the John Campy YouTube channel, thank you guys very, very much for that. Guys, please remember, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and most importantly, take care of the people around you, please, today. Uh, and then we'll all get through this thing sooner rather than later anyway guys that will do it for me for now thank you so much for being here oh 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 i almost forgot i almost forgot tomorrow the john campion show will happen but it will happen later in the day tomorrow because i have some exciting things going on that i can't talk about yet but and that's going to unfortunately take up my morning tomorrow so the john campion show will probably be around 2 p.m tomorrow afternoon just keep your eyes on the channel for when i post the event and it's probably going to be around two o'clock tomorrow afternoon pacific standard standard time instead of its regular 9 a.m. time. Again, I, I have something that I cannot avoid that I have to be a part of tomorrow morning. So uh, that'll do it for me for now, guys. Thank you so much for being here. My name is John Campia. Until next time, my friends. Bye-bye.